I remember biking to the office. It was almost like, you know, in a movie, it's like this the crescendo, like the the moment where everything is just falling apart. You're just like biking to the office. It's raining from the sides, like no one no one believes in me, like I need to make this work. You are equally capable as any other person in this world to go out and change things. Yeah, everyone is pretty dumb, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. We're all equally dumb. So the first layer was, I want to work in a store, then I want to have a store, and I want to have a brand that is sold in a store. And then it was like, I should help other people start a store. And now I'm trying to build infrastructure for people that want to start their own online retailers. Greetings, Pontus, all the way from Sweden. Thank you for joining us on the pod. Pontus is the founder and CEO of Offscript, a two-sided marketplace that enables influencers, such as people with a lot of followers on Instagram, to turn their accounts into storefronts where they can sell products from any brand. And it enables brands to find influencers that could distribute their products. Pontus, welcome. Thank you so much. Welcome to the show. Yeah, Pontus, can you... Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, definitely. So uh, I'm Pontus. I'm the CEO and co-founder of a company called Offscript. We are an e-commerce solution that helps creators, communities, and curators to, to build their own curated marketplace. Um, it means basically that it's a two-part platform that on one end, it's a storefront builder. And on the other side, it's a marketplace connector that, that allows for brands to connect and sell through these curated marketplaces. Uh, we are a... Uh, company that's been going for a few years now. We are kind of a, a seed stage, pre-seed seed stage, um, and a team of uh, eight people based out of Stockholm, Copenhagen, and uh, Nigeria. Nice. So we're going to circle back to that, of course. But uh, let's jump into a weird question. Uh, so Pontus, <laughs> if you could go back in time and have a conversation with your younger self, what advice would you give and why? Uh, I think that's an excellent question. Um, I think that there are a few insights that you have as, as you grow older. And one of the ones that has really been internalized by me is that there are no secret rooms. And what I mean with that is that when you're young, it's easy to kind of have this mystical view of the world. It's, there, it's almost like there, there are these other people that have access to these other types of information, other types of uh, resources or other types of secrets that, that you cannot access. And, and after a while, you realize that we're all kind of trying to figure it out. And um, that means that like you can always learn new things. These rooms might not even exist. So uh, that is one of the things that I kind of uh, stay with. Really, like if I would meet the younger version of myself, I would say like, you are equally capable as any other person in this world to go out and change things. Um, so that is something that I try to live by and also to really, really promote when I meet creative young people today or, or people that have some entrepreneurial creative ambitions. Yeah, that's pretty insightful. Yeah, everyone is pretty dumb, actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. We're all equally dumb. And no, we're not. Uh, some people are more dumb uh, than others. And some <laughs> people are more smart than others. I suppose, but, no, but definitely. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> think that you're onto something there about like that you you have some view that everyone else has their shit figured out 
And that is not the case. And uh, entrepreneurship, I think, is to, to a large extent the ability to constantly accept the fact that things are suboptimal, but keep pushing on it and, and improving and, and optimizing as you go. Mm. Yeah, I think that's really well said, Pontus. I think like there's this core idea that we're much more similar than we are different, right? That means if nobody knows what's going on, then you are just as qualified as any other person to learn whatever it is that you wanted to learn and get good at and to succeed at. Yeah, exactly. And I might not be it now, just as this other person wasn't it when they started, but you kind of lean forward and you're curious and open and, you know, look at the facts, then I think that you can definitely change. So Hanson, is this might be me getting Americanized, but I find uh, Pontus' accent pretty sexy, like those uh, <laughs> European accent. Yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm getting the stereotype now. Yeah, this is no, also going to be in the highlights. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I try to. It's funny that you say it because I feel like the the better my English becomes, say technically, the worse my accent becomes. It's almost like the more confident <laughs> I become, uh, the more say my Swedish English accent is is popping out. So I think yeah, uh, I'm gonna take that as a compliment and and um, and keep talking the way I do. Yeah, let's keep it professional, seed for now. That's not my right. strong suit, but yeah, let's, let's continue. Great. All right, Pontus. Um, like with all our guests, we'd love to learn about your story and get to know you a little bit as a person. So uh, where does your story begin? Would you like to tell us a little bit about your childhood, where you're from, how you grew up? Yeah, of course. I'm from the south of Sweden, from a very small village where there literally lives 700 people. I'm sure there are more cows than people in that village. Um, um most people, when I grew up, they worked either in the industry, they worked in kind of school or say public institutions, or they worked in retail. And from when I was a kid, I always had this idea that I wanted to work, say, in the world of retail and kind of that, that part I thought that was interesting. And people tend to be, yeah, they, they were a bit cooler, let's say. And I think that I was attracted to that. So I, I wanted to do that. And, and then... I, um, I studied business in uh, university and during that period I started kind of dabbling in, you know, I want to have my own brand maybe one day. That would be cool. Like having my own clothing brand, shoe brand or whatever type of brand it might be. Uh, I think I, I started showing a big interest in, in say the world of IP, like <laughs> the spread between the cost of production and what people are willing to pay and kind of why, why that is like branding and so on. That was interesting. And then I, I went to Milan. I had the great fortune of doing an exchange semester at a school called Bocconi. And when I was doing that, we, we studied business of fashion and, and a lot of things in, say, the, the Italian, um, in, at least in Bocconi, is related to, to, to retail and, and fashion for, for obvious reasons. And then I started going deeper into that. And, and I really like got more and more interested in, in, say, the world of e-commerce and the world of, of fashion. And, um, I, you know, I started kind of sketching, speaking to different producers about different types of products. It could be shoes, it could be clothing, whatever it was. But I kind of finalized by not executing on it. Um, instead, I went to Stockholm, started working as a, as a management consultant for a few years. And doing that, I couldn't really um, let this idea go of, of dabbling into e-commerce. And, and doing that... 
I saw a huge opportunity in basically building some kind of solution in between the dropshipping platforms and say the the e-commerce platform. So what if I could like start selling products from brands that I sincerely like, but in my own e-commerce. So instead of say dropship super high margin products that are has no thoughts regarding sustainability and so on. Um, but instead of doing that, I would start selling actually good products. Why can't I do that? And then I started dabbling into that and looking into kind of how the e-commerce landscape is changing and just fell in love with the idea of kind of like trying to glue together, say the back end of, of these marketplaces. Like what if you could have a platform where you already have a bunch of amazing brands so that the next online retailer or marketplace that wants to start can utilize that existing inventory. Um, so you kind of like, it was almost like my entire life. I've kind of tried, I, I tried to reach the same goal, but I've abstracted away layers. So the first layer was, I want to work in a store. Then I want to have a store then I want to have a brand that is sold in a store. And then it was like, maybe I should help other people start a store. And now it's like, I'm trying to build infrastructure for people that want to start their own online retailers. So, and I think that's a, that's a kind of <laughs> short version. I was always a creative kid. I played music. I was the, the, the kid that played the music on the, on, on the last day of school. Um, so I, uh, I tried to kind of always express myself in some way creatively. Wait, sorry, just to clarify, uh, the kid that played music on the last day of school, what does that mean? So yeah, maybe you don't have that where you come from, but here, um, the last day of school, you, you, all the kids gather and there's always music played. So the teachers maybe sing or someone sings and, and oftentimes there is some kind of band or some kind of acoustic guitar kind of guy that sings a song or a few, um, and, uh, for his fellow students. And I was that, uh, I was that kid. Wait, and that's back in high school? Yeah, exactly. This is back in high school. Yeah. Okay, I guess you guys really don't have any pressure going to college then. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> definitely not the picture uh, back in China. Well, no, I think it's very different, obviously, from from being raised in China. Um, but um, yeah, I've always kind of had that music. I also did it in college, kind of like troubadour situation. Uh, so yeah, no, it's definitely a bit different, like kind of the spare time, what you do there. Pontus, that was a good story, I think. It summarized how you got here really well, and I liked how you phrased those layers. Uh, though I want to dig a little bit deeper into the like origin of your entrepreneurial journey, because it sounds like as far back as your story goes, you've always wanted to be an entrepreneur. Uh, is that true, or was there like an event that you remember that inspired you? Or is it just, you know, being from a village of 700 people, you just thought the people who owned their shops were cool? I think that I've always wanted to start my own thing. And part of the reason for that is because I've had this kind of perspective, like, why can't I do it? Like, if someone else can do it, why can't I do it? And right. um, I suppose I've had some kind of romanticized view of like what it means to be an entrepreneur and and being able to to do something new and innovate. And, you know, I suppose that. Back in the days, you would be some kind of, you know, come up with new innovations, gadgets and so on. But now I suppose you do that more in the world of software and, and entrepreneurship. I've always been attracted to playing around and understanding how things actually work and then breaking it down and then 
building on top of that. So I think that was what attracted me, has been attracting me to entrepreneurship. Then I think another reason is because I've always been very interested in, say, to some extent, politics. <laughs> and uh, uh, without getting too specific, I think it's important that people understand ownership and equity and how important it is to actually take part in, in, in the upside, also in equity and not only, say, salary, for example. So I've always been also attracted by like owning equity. <laughs> um, so um, I think that's another reason. But then, I, then I've always been a problem solver, I, I think. And, and, and I think entrepreneurship comes down to that, um, solving problems. Yeah, I definitely agree. You should build equity in yourself, especially younger, uh, instead of salary, which is, like you said, very limited upside. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's very limited upside. So that is something that I've been attracted. And then I think I have always felt that I'm not a very good employee, which is <laughs> a more funny twist on it. But like, I'm always, I remember the first job uh, before I uh, worked as a management consultant, I worked with an agency for, for a short uh, period or like one and a half years. And, my, and the first job that I had while I was writing my thesis, I was like an executive assistant. And I think many creative people lack uh, <laughs> some of the core skills that you need to be a good assistant. We might be more creative than than say structured in general. Um, but um, then was also, I, I kind of realized there and then that I wanted to be on the stage. Like I don't want to be running someone else's stuff. Like I'd rather be the executive than the executive assistant, let's say. Um, it, it sounded more fun. And, and I think that my skill sets were, were, were more suitable for that in the sense that I, I like, like sales. I like actually creating things and, and getting shit done versus only like being in the, in the back end as kind of admin person. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, so you wouldn't hire yourself, is what you're saying. <laughs> uh, I would. <laughs> but not as an executive assistant, no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. Instead of building your own brand, selling your own stuff in the store, you directly building the tools to enable other people to do that, right? I think a lot of entrepreneurs, including us, also struggle with this question. Like, you know, should we actually build the app itself or build something that enables other people to build the app? And one of the things I struggle with is I often think it's actually important for us to actually build the app, like in this case, you know, own your own store to feel the pain so that you can better support other people to do it. How do you get in the confidence that without actually doing it yourself, you already know the pain points that you should solve to help other people to do it? I think this is a fantastic question. And I think it's very important for say up and coming entrepreneurs to, to listen closely, <laughs> starting a, a company, the first time many founders, me included, they might think that they are say customer obsessed or problem centric, but they, in all honesty, they are not. Um, so I think that the best answer to this is to stay super duper close to your users or the ones that you're solving the problem for. And I think mm -hmm. when it comes to what you're saying here, it's like, if you haven't really had say this friction or problem yourself, maybe one way to expose yourself to that is to actually like try it. So say right. our hypothesis is it's hard to start a multi-brand marketplace. Okay, let's try right. to do that kind of say without off script. Then you realize that you have a bunch of problems and this is 
kind of repeated by, you know, now our, say, or user group. But once you find those people, I think it's really important to have this kind of service mindset uh, while you develop your product. So, so really understand, right. empathize with the user. Where does it matter that we improve? And what should we, you know, focus on moving forward? And then, especially if you're building this meta layer, as you're saying, because otherwise it might be right. smarter to just start your own curated marketplace. And maybe that right. should solve the, the problem. Um, yeah. But no, I think uh, staying super close to the to the users and really empathize with them. But how, how do you do that? How do you stay close to your user, especially you know if you are studying something new? Like, do you try to network them with them first, um, offer the software for free for them? How do you how do you actually do it? I mean, yeah, at a certain point, you need to just you know test hypotheses. Um, I uh, do believe in kind of this idea of like selling first. With the caveat that when you sell, you need to really listen, um, really, really listen to what what the potential say buyer is saying. So I believe in like really going out before you even have anything and just speak to them. Like really try to understand what is the friction, what is the problem, and the way you do that is obviously different depending on on what type of business you're building. I think if you're right. in the say SaaS space, you can probably do a lot by just selling and building simple MVPs and then iterating on top of that. If you're in the consumer space, maybe you want to, you know, the classic thing is maybe you start building either a community or say you, uh, you set up some kind of landing pages to, to collect interest um, or whatever it might be. So I think it depends on what you try to do, but the, the overarching is kind of sell and speak to the users i think uh, before you start building too much yeah that's a very good answer Hantas. you know that's a question i i've been wondering with hansen together for a while now um, yeah so yeah let's dig into the next section because I, I do want to jump into the the deep topics <laughs> all right Pontus. so let's talk a little bit more about offscript and your experience there what would you say your best memory about offscript is so far so I would say it was really fun in the absolute beginning when we tried to validate the concept because it was so scrappy. Like we went to influencers and we asked them basically, what products would you like to sell if you had your own store? And then they gave us a, a few products. Then we kind of populated, say, a yeah, we built some website in Webflow, I think, and just like made kind of a store doing that and then uh, populated it with the information from those products that they told us that they would like to sell then uh, it was so fun when they actually sold products however what is worth noting here is that when they sold that product we obviously had no way to really fulfill that or ensure it's being sent so what happened was in practice i took my personal debit card and just went to another e-commerce that sold that product and then filled in that customer's information and sent, and then they fulfilled and sent it to the end customer. So it was like a super scrappy way to like, okay, will people actually buy products from say influencers if they have a storefront? So I think that was a fun memory and fun experience of like really doing something scrappy. Then I think another really, really exciting uh, moment was when we, me and my current co-founder went to New York to meet with our existing now investors and kind of close that deal that was that was really like a dream come true moment i would say when you like get to fly there and 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 kind of meet with potential business partners that you're all really impressed by 
every time a creator sells a product to their audience and they have a good experience, it's, it's super rewarding, obviously, and, and you know, building the product, ensuring that it, it gets better and better and see that people are using you know, the features that you rolled out is super rewarding. Right. Okay, so it cannot be all happiness, right, in the startup journey. So what's your worst memory so far? Oh, <laughs> um, I think there is uh, definitely things to be said regarding also fundraising. There's been periods where we've had less, say, conviction. And, and I remember there was one period where there was literally like two weeks of runway. Like I have, there is no money here in the bank. <laughs> and I have invoices to pay. In some way, we were able to get in the money and, and then from there kind of revitalize the company. But I remember biking to the office. It was almost like, you know, in a movie, it's like this, the crescendo, like the, the moment where everything is just falling apart. You're just like biking to the office. It's raining from the sides. Like no one, no one believes in me. Like I need to make this work. Uh, you know, I think many founders, they, they connect parts of their ego also to, you know, building this thing. And it was, it was, that was really tough actually. Like knowing that, the odds are very much stacked against me here now, but I have only one way to go. And that is to take one more kind of, I don't know what it's called when you ride a bike, but one more thing, <laughs> one more step, bike step. Um, right. So yeah, um, that was, that was, uh, that was a really tough um, period. So you were down to two weeks of runway. Were you losing sleep over this? And how did you overcome that exactly? We were, we opened up around basically and, and started racing almost like it was kind of a safe note, you can say. And fortunately, people wired money. Like obviously the plan was that they should wire before I, I was in this situation, but then money kind of came in. Unfortunately, we didn't have much burn. So like we could kind of build up the round and then after, you know, a month it was kind of filled. So but during that period, I was like, I don't know what to do really here in the same time i was kind of going through a lot of things on the, on the, on the personal side i was breaking up with my uh, girlfriend at the time and i was also having some family um, people was were sick in my close family so it was like a really really tough moment however to your point about sleep uh, my friends often joke about that, but if there is one thing that I am good at, it is to sleep. So <laughs> I think actually uh, sleeping may might have been, you know, my savior in, during that period because I think you you need to just stay, keep your focus, you know, and look ahead one more step and then go for as long as you want or can. And yeah, it was really tough, uh, but it was also now in retrospect, it was, it's quite rewarding to know that you could go through that and still sleep like a baby. <laughs> yeah, honestly, <laughs> it sounds like a joke, but it's a real talent. Sleep is important and being able to sleep well is yes. huge. Um, yeah, uh, thanks for much. sharing that story. I think that is, as you're saying, it's almost like a movie. And yeah. I'm glad to hear that you pulled through. It's almost the kind of cliche you would read about in books and uh, in movies, but it's cool to hear from someone who's actually experienced that. So about off script, what would you say your top takeaway lesson is so far? What's something that you would want to share that you've learned from your off script journey? I would say that you need to be very close to your users 
And when you think you're close to your users, you need to be even closer to your users. Like you need to really understand the problem that you're solving and you need to know how you can solve for that problem. So I think that has been a big learning. Then I think on say the founder level, I think things that I've learned is that it's very helpful to surround yourself with other uh, founders and other people that are in a similar situation, because I think it's kind of innately a bit lonely. Um, it might feel like that at least because you, on one hand, you, you have, you know, you have your team, which you of course have to ensure that everyone is motivated and kept up to date and you build together. And then on the other side, you have your say users and your customers, and they also have to be, you know, super motivated and excited. And, and then you have your investors and you always have, you know, a relationship with your investors where you obviously need to work closely with them and, and, and learn together, but you also have a responsibility to Sometimes you can feel like it's kind of scary and that you're uh, alone in, in, in that uh, in that kind of triad of, of say, stakeholders. Um, but if you have a community of other people that are going through a similar thing, I think that's super helpful. Then I think starting small, another insight. Okay, things that doesn't need to be complicated right now. And solve problems as you go. It's another one. Uh, there are so many problems that you need to solve. So if you think of all the problems you need to solve before you have them, you probably won't even get started. Yeah, all very good points. So what's next for uh, Offscripts? So, you know, I mean, especially right now, the the sentiment of the market right, is taking a turn or already took a turn. Uh, seems people care about profitability much more than um, used to be, at least. Um, like, are you guys trying to, uh, you know, prioritize that? Like, what's... What's the next step for, for uh, Offscript? Uh, no, I think we are still in this position where we, you know, try to learn together with our users as much as possible and, and try to say, get to a clearer path to say product market fit. I would, I would argue that we're still definitely right. before that. Uh, so we have a few very, very large partners. For example, we are launching now with the world's largest community for, for beauty. And, and so they, they reach north of they have more than two billion views per month on the content that wow. they that they put out and they want to yeah they're gonna launch a, a marketplace with us um so that's of course something that we spend a lot of our focus and, and attention to ensure that that is a successful launch um and then i think you know depending on on the insights and the learnings that we have together here now um, our plan will most likely be to to go out to fundraise the seed round uh, here now during the uh, yeah pre summer. So, would you consider this a pre seed startup at this point? Yes, exactly. Got it. Yeah, your website, by the way, looks incredible. It's super polished. <laughs> Thank you so much. And, uh, shout out to Simon, um, who's our designer. That is amazing. There's a aesthetic component of building, say, an e-commerce experience is is very important. And oftentimes outweighs, say, many of the more technical features that you might think of when you when you run a marketplace. Yep, that's a great insight as well. Uh, recently at work, we've been debating basically a new product design, and we were just making this point of you can have a lot of features, a lot of technically impressive things, but the design aesthetic is actually very important as well in your own marketing as well as in your product. Yeah, exactly, and I think especially when other brands like if you build a website i suppose that squarespace entire kind of business ideas like we build we you could have built the website using wix 
or you can build it using Squarespace and Squarespace websites in general looks better. All right. We always ask this question to the funders we interview or the, the people we interview in general. Um, what is success to you? Success to me is that I want to have made a positive dent into the industry I'm entering, which in this case is the intersection between creators and, and retail and commerce. You obviously have, say, more financial success goals. I think, you know, it, it would be a lie to not say that there is some degree of, say, financial success that you want to reach when you enter into this type of ventures. Obviously, uh, having some kind of bigger financial reward is, is, is one of the goals. But then, of course, it's, it's ensuring that we've built something that has been net positive for, for the world and for the stakeholders that are involved in, in our ecosystem. I genuinely believe that if you make, say, online retail more decentralized, you will have more people taking part of one of the world's largest markets, uh, i.e. online retail. And I think that it would also favor many very good brands out there that currently don't have, say, maybe the distribution that they could have. Um, so I think that you could actually, with, with Offscript, with that model of, say, a more decentralized online retail landscape, make a very positive dent in, in the world of commerce. Uh, so that is obviously also one of the goals we have uh, for success. I hear two things there. One is you mentioned this whole mindset of being an innovator. Maybe in a prior era, you would have been an inventor for gadgets. But in the day and age we live in, we're inventing new software solutions. Um, so yes. you're sort of improving the world through your innovations, bringing new ideas to the world. And also this idea of shaping the world in your image that we hear quite a bit. You want to leave your imprint on the world and it's your legacy, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. And there is something to um, another component, which is this thing we talk about, like it's people trust people, not companies. And it would be very interesting to see how that would manifest itself in the world of commerce. If you look at how media has changed lately, it's a lot in favor of individuals, like people, but that isn't the case for commerce yet. So what would happen if you would give, in the same way that YouTube has kind of decentralized and democratized, say, TV, can we, say, decentralize and democratize the access to retail, online retail? Like, can I be an actual retailer uh, without having to worry about any of the operations in the same way as I can, in quotation marks, start a TV channel on YouTube and don't have to worry about distribution or or server hosting or whatever it might be. Yeah, and I like how you are focusing on, you know, summarize as decentralized the, the power of e-commerce without mentioning Web3. <laughs> Props to you. <laughs> cool. cool, Pontus. You work in the creator economy, also known as the influencer economy. And we talk about influencers a lot, and it has a lot to do with your product. My question is, what is influence? I think influence is a function of trust and distribution. So it's the degree of trust that you have within an audience combined with how big that audience is. And trust is, you know, it's not only trust, I would argue, because there is also one component here, which is about aspiration. So is this someone that I want to be more as? And I think those are like the three pillars. It's like distribution, 
trust and some degree of aspirational image. That's, I would say, is the more mathematical uh, answer to it. But uh, it's obviously uh, more complex when you go into the, the, the psychology of this. Right. That's super interesting that you gave pretty much an equation, right? It's a function of uh, trust distribution and aspiration. I guess what you gave feels more like a answer to how do I quantify influence? But what is yeah. influence and what does it mean to be influential? Okay. So influence, um, I suppose, is the ability to affect people's behaviors or emotions by the way I act and communicate. It's my how much impact does my communication or behavior have on other people's emotions or behaviors. And if I have a lot, then I have a lot of influence. If people don't care about what I say, do, or think, then I have little influence. Yeah. I like the uh, I like the equation approach a lot. I would like to hear the insight about uh, what is beauty to you, because you know you're building this platform that I would say a lot of influencers kind of achieve their trust and distribution by shaping certain image about beauty. So, from your perspective, what is beauty? How do you define that? What is beauty? I suppose it's one of the older philosophical questions like whether there are is something called objective beauty or not i suppose it's the it's the qualities shapes colors that these are pleasing to people's say preferences so i do not believe that there is a, such a thing as objective beauty but i do believe that there are you know things that we humans tend to like such as symmetry or maybe patterns or colors that, that we might see more in nature. And uh, obviously there are some super fascinating kind of things to learn from, what is it called? Like the golden, Sweden is called like the golden cut, but it's not that in English. <laughs> yeah, this, the, golden Vinci, ratio. The, the circle, the golden ratio. Exactly. Um, so I think, um, it's, it's a hard question. Um, but, um, the world is also a hard place, so maybe we should only talk about hard questions. <laughs> it's a hard question, but the world's also a hard place. Touche. Pontus, thank you so much for joining us on the show and uh, telling us the stories of your life and off script and, you know, diving into these silly, deeper questions with us. It's great having you. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Would love to have you back. Once we're all billionaires, it'll be a more interesting follow-up conversation. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely. All right. All right. Thanks, thanks so much. All right. Take care. Ciao.